Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. All of these ministries, we're, we're not just doing them for the sake of doing things. They're all a part of God's love song to our city, right? They're a part of what he is doing, and we get to be a part of that. And I just want to encourage you with that. I believe that he wants us to hear a little bit more of that love song today. And that might mean you just hearing his voice that he loves you. It also might mean you hearing more of his voice about how he's called you to be a part of the love song to your neighbor, right? And so I just wanted to set up the message with that. And I'm actually going to open this sermon with reading the lyrics of this singer-songwriter that's here local. His name is Ben Rector. Does anybody like Ben Rector? Okay, we got some Ben Rector fans in the house. He's, he's a great singer-songwriter. And on his newest album, he has this song called Heroes, which is a phenomenal song. And it's really about growing up and realizing all of your heroes have let you down. That's what the song's about. So we're starting on this pessimistic note. We're going to build it up as we go today. But here's what he says. I miss when I had superpowers. My imagination was my friend, and it ran wild and free. I'd waste a couple hours without a worry in the world, staring at stars out on my trampoline. I miss when Andy MacArthur was the fastest kid there was and the fastest there was ever going to be. When Ken Griffey Jr. was a giant, before parents got divorced and I learned that there was gravity. I miss my old heroes. I had to give them all away. I miss my old heroes. God, I wish they could have stayed. Because it turns out that the hardest part of growing up is not getting old. It's learning how the real world goes. I miss my Bible study leader. Had all the answers for living in the big bad world. Don't know if he still talks to Jesus. But his wife's remarried now, and I think he sells garage doors. I miss when I thought chasing dreams was holy magic behind curtains in a sacred place. Before it was managers and lawyers who colored up and cashed them out for vacation homes in coastal states. I miss back when the world was small and we had all the answers. I miss how it was when we were young. I miss back before I understood all the ways that life would break your heart before I knew that's what they called growing up. I miss my old heroes. It's a beautiful song. It's a heartbreaking song, but I think it's a reflection of how all of us desire to have heroes in our life, and all of us have the experience of those heroes in some way or another letting us down. We all long for a leader that is good and powerful, or a friend that is truly trustworthy for life. And I'm gonna give away the big answer of the whole sermon right now as I submit to you that I believe based on scripture and based on life, that there is only one hero and one trusted leader and one trusted friend in whom we can entrust our whole soul to, our whole soul to and it's our good shepherd. And we're looking at John 10 today, and we're in verses 11 through 21. We're studying this entire book. We've been in it for months, and we're going to look at these 11 verses. I'll read the entire text first. We believe in making much of God's word, and then we're going to talk through each verse. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep 
and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a, of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So Lord, we come before you today as we have already in this gathering and we worship you, God. We just declare our love for you and we humbly uh, kneel at your feet right now. You are our teacher. You are the good shepherd as you declare. And I pray for each person today. I don't know where everyone is in this room, where their heart is. Some are very disillusioned about the faith and cynical about you and hurt by so many hired hands and false shepherds and heroes that have let them down and unsure of how to even take steps forward. Others feel like they're doing really well. All of us, God, we want to tune our attention to your voice. It's just as simple as that. We want to hear you, our good shepherd, and what you're speaking to each of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus starts out with the incredible declaration in the beginning of verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And it's important to understand that in this story, we are the sheep. Jesus is trying to teach the people about who he is and who they are. And these lessons still apply to us. Now, the people he was talking to at this point, many of them understood shepherding. And not many of us in our culture here in the West have a deep understanding of shepherding. And we, we dove into some of the context last week when we studied the first half of this chapter. But there are all kinds of incredible metaphors. But it's important to understand that we are like the sheep. And the sheep need leaders they can trust. They need shepherds that will protect them and have their best interest at heart. And it's clear in this chapter that there are false shepherds and there are hired hands and there, there, there are those that would try to exploit the sheep. And we talked about how last week the enemy has a vision for your life just as much as God has a vision for your life. And the enemy's vision is to steal, kill, and destroy you. God's vision is that you would have life and have it to the full. Seems like a really obvious choice, but we don't always lean into God's vision. We get seduced by the vision of the enemy for our lives. And so we're picking up, and Jesus is just coming right to the heart of the matter, and he says, I am the good shepherd. And we all long for that, whether we know it or not. We long for a good shepherd in our life. I long for it still at this stage. And I have wonderful friends and family and mentors, but I still find myself at times just seeing all the imperfections of humans around me and longing for a hero and a good shepherd. And he, Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. And I wanna start with number one in your notes by just setting the groundwork. Jesus is your shepherd and he is good. You might not even agree with that yet. You might be in a stage where you, you're not sure if you can trust God. You don't even know if there is a God. You, or you may have been hurt so much, how could God allow this? But let's just start with this foundational declaration and, and, and let scripture speak to us by the spirit of God. And I believe the foundation is coming back to this truth. Our hearts long for it. And he has said that he is our shepherd. And only, not only that, but he is good. And it further explains it in the second half of verse 11. He says, the good shepherd, me, lays down his life for the sheep. So number two is, he is good 
because he lays down his life for you. When we question, can we trust this God? Can we trust this good shepherd to actually lead our lives? Are we trusting him to actually change things in us or maybe change direction or move us away from something and to something? When we actually consider that and we realize this could have implications that change things, we start wondering, how good is he? What does he really want for me? I think if we're really honest, a lot of us deep down have that when we really consider a full and glad surrender before God. And we can take it to the bank. The reason we can know he is good is because he is the shepherd who lays down his life for us. He is the shepherd that has our best interest at heart. Now keep in mind, when the hearers were hearing this story for the first time, they did not know that Jesus was headed for death on a cross. They had no context. When we hear that, we think of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. When they hear it, they're just remembering what it is for, to be a good shepherd, which we talked about how last week, these shepherds would sometimes have to camp out you know, in a cave at night and there were no watchmen, there were no one else to help and the good shepherd would become also the gate. He would actually lay down at the entrance of the cave to protect his sheep from the wolves or the predators that would come. So that's why Jesus said earlier in this chapter, I'm also the gate. And I just, if you're questioning whether you can really trust God with the actual direction of your life, I wanna encourage you to consider he's the one who lays down his life for you. He's the one who solely and completely has your best interest at heart. The closest, the closest example I believe that we have to that on this side of heaven with other humans other than the good shepherd is like a really healthy parent which not even all of you have had really healthy parents. But those of us that are parents, or maybe those of us that have had parents, we, we can get a little glimpse of the kind of love that says, I would lay down every part of my life for you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I, it's no question that I would die for you. I will live for you. Everything I have is yours. You know that just desire of a healthy parent, even that is an imperfect love compared to the perfect love of the good shepherd. What we have as parents is, is a reflection of it. I think it gives us glimpses into it, but it's not complete and perfect like it is from the Lord. I remember when I, uh, my wife and I were training to become church planters. Almost 15 years ago, we were about to move to Los Angeles, and we've gotten to plant a number of churches uh, throughout our lives. And one of the things that someone taught me that I never forgot was this, and this was from a veteran church planter who just spoke into our lives. He said, you know what a church plant really is? It's when God calls you to an area and you fall in love with it so deeply that you're willing to die for the people there. That's a church plan. And I would submit to you, that's not just a church plan. That's actually how all of us are called to live our lives as followers of Jesus. You see, he has called you and he has sent you to wherever you are right now. And he's not called you there just to make everything great for yourself. He's called you there to follow his example and lay down your life for others in love. That's actually... The ultimate fulfillment that we long for is following this. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Number three in your notes, Jesus is the example of what love and godly leadership look like. You want to know what it is to be a good parent? It's to literally lay down your life for your children. You want to know what it is to actually be a good boss that's trusted with people under your care? It's to care about their hearts first, their well-being first. It's definitely not profit and skimming things off the top because of the bottom line. If you're entrusted with any kind of leadership and you're a Christian, you are to follow the example 
of Jesus. We are to serve from a posture of sacrifice. Now, then Jesus goes into a warning in verse 12. He's gonna juxtapose the good shepherd with what's called the hired hand. He says the hired hand is not the shepherd and he does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, when danger is coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs. Then he leaves the flock vulnerable. The, flock, uh, the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, kills some of them. The hired hand runs away because he's only a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So the hired hand, based on this story that Jesus is telling us, is someone who is shepherding or helping out only as a means to paying the bills or only for selfish gain. Now, I want to clarify something here just so you understand you know, how we function as a church, what we think the biblical model is. Um, there are those of us, like I'm one of them, and we have some other staff here that receive income as under shepherds of the good shepherd in leading a local church like this. You know, and there are, other, there are other churches around the area. I, I, I receive my full-time income. I'm so thankful for it by God's grace to pastor this church. What a gift. Not every pastor or under shepherd around the country is blessed to be able to receive their full-time income from that. Now, just receiving an income like what I receive is not what makes you a hired hand. And the reason for that is a few things. One is that the good shepherd or even a good shepherd also receives their income from what he does leading the sheep. You see, they take care of the sheep to eventually get the wool off the sheep to be sold. So there's income coming to the hired hand. There's income coming to the good shepherd also. And also it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 14, uh, that God has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living. So when we study the scope of scripture, we see that there's, there's no right or wrong to whether a pastor or a team of pastors or leaders is paid full-time or not. I could be pastoring this church. I wouldn't have the time to do everything I do now, but be out working bivocationally just as well, and God could still be blessing everything. I did that for a lot of years uh, as a church planter. The thing that this story says makes you a hired hand, because a pastor can just be a hired hand. The thing that makes you a hired hand is, rather, let me say it this way, the evidence of a hired hand is when they only care about themselves and do not care about those that are under their care. And what Jesus is making clear here is that any flock, and I'm not just talking about local church here, anyone in any authority in our lives can possibly just be a hired hand. And I, I could ask you to raise your hand, but I'm not gonna because these are sensitive things. But I bet if I asked how many of you felt like you've been hurt by a hired hand before, a lot of hands would go up. And the way we know if we've been hurt by a hired hand is when someone that we put our trust in an authority figure of any sort, a parent, a teacher, a pastor, some leader in the community, could even be a friend, when they abandon you when you need it the most. When the wolf is coming and when things are falling apart, a hired hand books it for the hills. But the good shepherd stays with you. Now, there's a principle here, and it's number four in your notes that I want to expound upon that I think we can pull from this text, and it's important. Don't base your faith on anyone but the good shepherd. It doesn't mean you can't have a trusting relationship with someone, and we're gonna talk about that a little bit at the end of this sermon, but don't base your faith, meaning don't build the foundation of why you love and follow Jesus on anyone but Jesus the good shepherd. And the reasons should seem obvious to us, but we don't always live this out really well. I mean, if we're basing our faith on a hired hand, which happens, 
Because hired hands can look really slick, right? Hired hands can have all the right words to speak. It's in their best interest for us to base our faith on them because they're getting money off of this thing somehow, right? Hired hands, but they will leave you when you need them the most. Therefore, you will become disillusioned in your faith if your faith is based on them. Are you tracking with me? But then let me take it even deeper. Even good people that could be good under shepherds, they're not hired hands. They love you. They have your best interest at heart. Even those ones will eventually, hopefully unintentionally, let you down. That's what Ben Rector was singing about in his song. I miss my old heroes. Even your parents can't stay your heroes. I mean, they, they can be your heroes, but they can't be the foundation for your faith because they will let you down and then your faith will get disillusioned. I love my dad so very much. He's been the primary discipler in my life. But my faith is not based on my father. My faith and my faith alone is entrusted to my good shepherd, Jesus. That's it. Because as great as my dad is, he's let me down and he could let me down more in the future. I don't know. You tracking with me? And I know for sure that there are people here who have been so hurt by under shepherds or by hired hands, and you've let it move the foundation of your faith. And I believe that God wants to restore you to the foundation of your faith being in your good shepherd. And he may want to do some work in your heart around that today. When I was a freshman in Bible college 20 years ago, um, actually 21 years ago, 18 years old, God had shifted me away from going to art college, which was what I was prepared for for years. I had met the Lord. I had a radical encounter, and I showed up at this Bible college. Um, I got elected as leadership for my freshman class, and so I got invited to this meeting with the presidents, right? So silly looking back on it. The president of the freshman class, me, 10th, 11th, 12th grade presidents, the president of the college, and the, um, the alumni president, and we all went out to dinner. And so, you know, I'm very much the kid in the room, and I'm looking at my heroes here. These are heroes of the faith to me. I'm wide-eyed, full of wonder, ready to learn and grow and soak it up and go change the world. You guys know what I'm talking about? 18-year-old filled with just passion. And and the alumni president looked to me first. I don't know why he picked me. And he said, Nathan, let's imagine that you just got called by God to become the pastor of a church. It's a new area. You've brought your family there. I hadn't even met Jessica there. You brought your future family there. What would you do first? And I was was like, oh, my goodness, put me on the spot. And I just tried to think honestly about what I would do. And so I kind of gave you know, my very 18-year-old full of faith and wonder answer. I was like, I think I would pray and fast and seek the Lord and do whatever he told me to do. Good answer, I thought. But he almost scoffed at me. And he said, Nathan, basically, that's adorable, but we're talking about the real world. What would you do? And it really hurt me. I felt like, I felt like, I don't know what I felt like. It's hard to articulate. I felt like I lost a hero a little bit because I felt like he, it felt a little bit embarrassing. He kind of scoffed at me. I was trying to answer honestly and looking back on it, and I got to know him years after that. He wasn't um, a bad guy at all, and he loved the Lord, and he, he wasn't even like a hired hand type guy. He was a wonderful guy. He was just trying to get me to think through practical things that maybe, you know, you don't think about until you get there. That's all he was getting at. But he accidentally kind of like threw water on my fire. You know what I mean? I don't think he meant to do it. Um, And same thing happened with some of the older seniors in my class. 
I was like sharing my heart with some of them. And you know, you're the new kid on block, so you get hazed. Well, at Bible college, sometimes, sadly, that can be, hey, calm down with all your passion. Right, calm down with all this faith. I was trying to like call the class to like prayer meetings and we gotta fast, we gotta seek the Lord. Now's the time, the return of Christ is imminent. What are we doing? You know, I was like that guy. And, <laughs> and these seniors are like, dude, calm down. And I mean, a few of them really hurt me though. Um, I just felt like I was losing heroes. You guys know what I'm talking about? You learn the real world a little bit, but I don't know about you, I want to maintain a posture of wonder. I want to maintain a posture of faith. And I'm just telling you, um, the only way to do that is to base your faith on the good shepherd because people will let you down. Reading on, Jesus starts to articulate why he's the good shepherd and what that looks like. He says, I'm the good shepherd in verse 14. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I love how Jesus is just, helping us understand how our relationship can look. He says, I know you. So I actually know my sheep and my sheep know me, he says. They know my voice. And number five is you are actually known and loved by the good shepherd. How incredible to be perfectly known and perfectly loved. The more we can realize that we are already perfectly known by God, by the good shepherd, the more we can come out of hiding. And we can just be ourselves with all of our flaws and failures, the reality of our lives. Here I am, Lord. Help. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anyone here got it all together? Anybody? Can you let me know how that's going? I saw that hand in the back. Someone's, someone's child raised their hand. That's that childlike wonder. Yeah, I'm eight and I'm killing it. <laughs> you know, it's amazing to realize we have this God who's perfect in holiness perfect in glory, perfect in power, who sees everything in your heart and doesn't just see you, loves you. And he's the big boss. He's the king. I was, I was likening it to getting hired at a giant new company. Imagine you got hired at, I don't know, what, like uh, Apple or something like that, you know, and let's say it's still the days of Steve Jobs and it's Apple. And Steve Jobs, obviously a very flawed leader, brilliant guy, but, you know, human like anybody. Imagine you get hired and you're like at the very bottom of Apple, but you have a dream to, to move up. And, and, and all of a sudden, one day, you get a call and, and, and let's just pretend it's me. So, and Steve Jobs is like, hey, is this Nathan? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, hey, this is Steve Jobs. How's it going? And of course, I'm like, who's pranking me? But then he's like, no, this is really Steve Jobs. He's like, I, by the way, I wanted to let you know, Nathan, I know you just got hired here, but man, I see some of what you're doing and it looks really good. And I really like the, I like how you're thinking. I like how you're dreaming about this. I'd like you to come work right next to me. I'd like you to skip all the thousand people between us, all the different reports. I'd like you to report directly to me. And I'd like to really get to know you. Can we, can we hang out together? Can we spend like two or three hours every morning together at the beginning of the workday? I'm, I'm picking you and a few others. I'd love to just pour into your life. I'd love for you to get your ideas on the table. I know you don't have it all together, but, but for some reason, I'm just really, I, I wanna work with you. Not a bad day at the office, right? That is, pales in comparison to the fact that the good shepherd, the creator, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one perfect boss, he's a lot better than Steve Jobs. He does exactly what I just described with you. Like he knows you by name. You might feel like a little pawn in the kingdom of God. You might feel like a little pawn in the church. You might feel like who knows, who notices? 
the good shepherd notices. He's got your, he's got your name in his book. He's aware of what's going on with you, my friend. And he's calling you up and he wants you to answer. And he wants to spend time with you. He wants to personally invest into you. That's what I'm talking about. Doesn't that sound good? That's the hero we long for. We don't get it with our actual bosses, right? We might like our boss for a while, but they let us down. We don't get it with pastors. Can I get an amen? It's kind of a joke. You know, you're supposed to be like, amen, you're terrible, pastors. I'm joking, but it's true, right? I'm glad that you have a measure of trust with me and with our leadership here. That's good. And we're going to fight hard to maintain that. We're going to try to live by the highest standards of integrity. But I also know I'm a superhuman guy and I'm going to let you down, right? You're a superhuman church and you've already let me down. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good to just like get these things out of the way. I, I preached at uh, my dad and brother's church. My brother is taking over my dad's church right now in Pennsylvania as the pastor. And um, I preached there when we were just there a couple weeks ago. And I was talking about hope and how it, it wasn't this message, but it was about how we can't put our hope in other people. And I made the joke at their church. I said, hey, I know your pastors. I know them very well. And they're going to let you down hardcore. And I just, I spent a lot of time in my sermon letting that congregation know how much my dad and my brother are going to disappoint them as pastors. And it's kind of funny, but there's actually a lot of truth to this, right? And we see it. This is why um, things like church hopping is so prevalent because it's so easy. It's like as soon as, and it's not just always about the pastor disappointing you, but someone in this church will disappoint you right? Someone, I mean, we're just not a perfect people. We're going to do whatever we can. And it doesn't matter what church you go to, it's just going to keep happening over and over again. And that's, and it's not bad if God calls you to leave a place and calls you to dive into a new place. That can happen. I left the church I was pastoring to come here. But if we're just church hopping because we keep getting let down, it's not going to go well for us, right? We're just going to keep running in circles. We're, We're looking for our hero in the wrong place. Right? There's one hero, and that's the good shepherd. Are you guys tracking with me? And that's why I think it is important. Pay attention to if the good shepherd is giving you a piece about a local congregation like this, commit. And when you commit, don't let things like getting offended be what cause, causes you to leave. Only leave if God calls you to leave. If God stirs you and calls you to another place, and he wants you to invest your life into another church in this area, if you feel called to go to Conduit or Gateway or Church of the City, all these pastors are friends of mine, every single one of them. We spend time together. We have meals together. We pray together. I take it to the bank. If God calls you to go to one of those places, I'm going to be nothing but your cheerleader. We're going to pray for you. We're going to bless you because we're one church. We're one kingdom. But don't do it just because you get upset about something. That's the big difference. So getting our, our, our one true hero in place is important. Um, and then Jesus speaks prophetically into something that is going to happen in verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. What he's talking about is the Gentiles. Because at this moment, he's only speaking to the Jews. At this point, you would, if you ask any Jew, they would say, yeah, Jesus is here. He's the Messiah. But it's only for us. <laughs> It's just the Jews. Everyone else, you're out. You know what I mean? And the Gentiles would have seen it as this is some kind of inner club for just the Jews. But Jesus is talking about God's heart and God's actual vision, which is to bring the news to the ends of the earth, which includes everyone that's also not a Jew, which is probably most of us here in the room. And we are all lovingly referred to as the Gentiles. Can all the Gentiles raise their hand? Who's with me? bunch of Gentiles. (laughs) Aren't you glad that Jesus prophetically spoke and said, by the way, there are other sheep called Gentiles that aren't here yet. And look what he says, I must bring them also. How many of you are glad that Jesus brought you also? Come on. I'm so glad Jesus brought me also. He says, they too will listen to my voice 
And then look at this declaration. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. That's what we're doing. We are not all about Graceland Church. I love Graceland Church. We have a vision for Graceland Church. We're going to give our lives for what he's called us to do here. But we are about the one flock and the one shepherd, right? We are one church here in Tennessee. Those of us that name Christ and follow him, we might have little theological differences, but we are on the same team, right? We are not fighting against each other. In the new heavens and new earth, you know what there's not going to be? A gazillion denominations. There's going to be one shepherd and one flock. And that's why I think it's so critical at this time when our society is increasingly moving post-Christian here in America, it is so important that we as the church start majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors and communicating a consistent message to the world around us that we love each other and we love the world, right? We communicate the exact opposite half the time, that we don't love each other, we divide with each other because of silly little arguments that no one even cares about and that we don't even really love the world very well. How can we love the world if we don't love each other very well? So we are one church. You guys tracking with me? It is so important. It is so important that we lean into that. Do, do not ever be a Christian that looks down on another tribe of Christianity, like another denomination. Never, ever, ever. I had to repent at one point in my own life. Uh, just a, a few years ago, I, uh, uh, one of my best friends from growing up, I love this guy. He became um, a Southern Baptist pastor, I'm ordained with the Assemblies of God. He was of the mindset that um, most of the gifts of the Spirit are not for today, but they were for when the Bible was being written. I couldn't disagree more. I think the gifts of the Spirit are for now. I believe there's all evidence for that. And I had to repent at one point. But, but let me say, my friend, his name is Ryan Roach. He, I would say this to him. Like, like I'll, say, I'll send him this message. I'll say, I talked about you. you know, so we disagree about some things theologically. But he was one of my best friends growing up, and I know he loves Jesus, and he's given his life uh, to serve the Lord and serve the people of God and reach people. Um, and at one point, actually, I don't know if I've told him this, so he's about to find out. But at one point, I realized deep in my own heart that I was looking down on him a little bit. And I wasn't allowing myself to freely just enjoy him as a brother in Christ because I was looking down on him a little. How can you really enjoy fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ if you think you're a little bit better? <laughs> How's that going to work out? It's like a really dysfunctional family. You know what I mean? But I had to repent of that. And I had to be like, God, how ridiculous am I being right now? I don't have the corner market on theology. Guaranteed, I am not getting everything right. How could I? We're talking about God. My dad used to tell me, us trying to figure out theology like we know everything is like two ants on the ground trying to discuss what the weather is like on the top of the Himalayas. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's absurd. doesn't mean we don't talk about it. It matters. We care about it. Doctrine is important. But if, we, if we're not growing more humble in our theology, we're doing it wrong. We should be growing more humble in it. And so I just had to repent. Man, I was looking down on my brother, and now I just intentionally enjoy his friendship as a brother in Christ. He is my brother. There's no qualms about it. Um, it just is what it is, and that has to be at the center. And that is the message we need to send to the world. Imagine the world looking at me and one of my best friends from high school and being like, wow, has, has loving Jesus divided these two friends? They're both claiming the same God. They're preaching the exact same Bible. Assemblies of God and Southern Baptist are not very different. It's the Orthodox faith. And they're not, they're not super tight anymore because they, they splintered a little bit. What does that say to the world? <laughs> Sign me not up. I'm out of here. You know what I mean? So we, the church, this is number six, and I think I already said it. We are one united body 
under one good shepherd. And we have lots of under-shepherds. That's how I think of myself. I'm like an under-shepherd under eight other under-shepherds. You know what I mean? I have a lot of accountability in my life and people that I report to and submit myself to um, because I just believe in that. But we have one good shepherd, one true shepherd that we base our faith on. Then Jesus explains in verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is the command I received from my father. And Jesus is demonstrating here for us meekness. Meekness is strength under control. When you have all authority, but don't feel the need to demonstrate it. Nothing was taken from Jesus. Jesus laid down his life and then was raised back to life. Number seven, the good shepherd, the good shepherd has all authority in heaven and on earth. I'm gonna come back to the second part of that in a minute. Look at Matthew 28. This is now the great commission before Jesus ascends back to heaven. Here's Jesus, the good shepherd, saying to his, his disciples, the early church, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I called it the early church. They hadn't even really been born as the church yet in Acts 2, but this is right before that. He says, all authority, my brothers, my sisters, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father. Teach them everything I've taught you. And I think this is important to realize. This good shepherd that we have is not just good. He's not just loving, but he's the boss. <laughs> he's in charge. He is Steve Jobs at Apple times a gazillion. He's the one who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. I want to know this, God. I want to know this shepherd. Guess what? His authority is so great that whatever you are dealing with in your life, it is not outside the scope of his authority. Therefore, you don't have to feel hopeless. You don't have to feel like, what am I going to do? You invite the voice of your shepherd. You invite the boss. You invite the king of kings into your world. So it's not just the voice of your shepherd saying, hey, come follow me. It's also the voice of your shepherd destroying the wolf, right? Shutting down the works of the enemy, guarding you, saying, you are my sheep and nothing can pluck you out of my hand. The good shepherd is powerful. And he didn't, he didn't, his life wasn't taken from him. Look at what he said. I have the authority to lay my life down for you. And that's what I'm going to do. And I have the authority to take it back up again. He conquers sin, death, and the grave. It no longer holds any mastery over us. None. Do you hear what I said? Theologically, sin, death, and the grave hold no mastery over us. We may still wrestle with sin and be growing in our sanctification, but sin is no longer our master. We are not under law, but under grace because of the good shepherd. There's nothing like fluffy and soft about it. It's the all-powerful king of kings, good shepherd who swallowed up death in the grave. Now, it's incredible when you think about it, but the second part of point number seven, the good shepherd has all authority in heaven on earth, and he calls you by name. That's like that Steve Jobs call. You might not realize this, but the good shepherd has your number. He dreamed of you before you were even here. And so I wanna encourage you with two simple thoughts as the worship team comes up, two questions. First is, who are you or what hero are you entrusting yourself to? Who are you entrusting yourself to? Who are you basing your faith on? Jesus said that 
I don't entrust myself to any man because I know what is in a man. But Jesus did walk in trust with men and with his own disciples. And let me just give a little side teaching. What I believe about the difference between the word entrust and the word trust, based on what we see Jesus teaching us, is we should trust people. Don't get so cynical that we can't walk in trust with people. But we don't entrust our souls to people. You tracking with me? So being in a church family like this takes trust. Right? You were trusting me to a degree. I'm trusting you to a degree. We're trusting these teams. We're trusting each other. That is good and beautiful, and we want to fight for that. But I'm not entrusting my soul to you. You should not entrust your soul to me. There is only one that we entrust our soul to, and that's the good shepherd. You should not entrust your soul to your parents. You should not entrust your soul to whoever led you to the Lord. You should not entrust your soul to the, whatever the greatest preacher is that you love to listen to. It doesn't matter. You only entrust your soul to the good shepherd. Are you guys tracking with how important this is? Because every other under shepherd or hired hand will eventually let you down. So let me just ask you, who are you entrusting yourself to really deep down? Sometimes we could be entrusting ourselves to ourselves. Anytime we're taking the reins of our own life, we're saying, God, I trust myself more than you. Come, take a seat. I've got the drive, I got the steering wheel. That's us saying, I entrust my soul to me, myself, and I. But we will let ourselves down. And when we let ourselves down, if we've entrusted our soul to us, it will shake the foundations of our faith. But if we realize that our soul is only entrusted to the good shepherd, even when we let ourselves down, it doesn't have to shake the foundation of our faith. Why? The foundation is on one thing, the good shepherd. You guys see how important this is? Second question is this. What is your good shepherd saying to you today? What is he speaking to your heart, even as I've been speaking? What step is he calling you to take? What person is he calling you to forgive? How is he inviting you to rethink about something? What is he saying to you? God, thank you that for eternity, we can cling to you, the good shepherd, and magnify your name. Church, before I pray this benediction, um, I want to encourage you. uh, Lean into connection with the church. Trust Trust, don't end trust, but trust. Even when you've been hurt from others, God's calling you to again live in vulnerability with the family of God because we need to, we need it. All the while only entrusting your soul to the good shepherd. Let me pray this benediction over us and we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray.